and welcome to episode 35 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of April 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So here we are, a new cast of characters on the show. Uh, Will, whose voice you've not heard before. Graham, whose voice you did hear last time. So, Will, let's start with you. Who are you and what the hell are you doing on the show? Well, I'm Will Cook. Uh, I happen to work at Canonical on the desktop team. Uh, I've been interested in Linux for a long, long time, and hopefully I've got some interesting things to tell you about. Fair enough. You say you're on the desktop team. You are the head of the desktop team. Well, we're, we're a team. We are all one team <laughs> There's together. There's no I in team. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so, therefore, you must run Ubuntu on the desktop, presumably the latest version of it, 17.10? Uh, I run 17.10 on my sort of daily get work done laptop, and I run 18.04 or whatever the, the current development release is on, uh, on my second laptop, which sits next to me, and I tinker on that all day long. And so, Graham then, Graham Morrison of Linux Voice fame, uh, it turns out that you too work for Canonical. Yeah, I don't think I've ever made a particular secret of it. I um I have mentioned it in uh in the Linux Voice podcast back when we had one. But yeah, I've, I've worked for Canonical for two years actually since the early demise of um, Linux Voice when Ben took over. Okay, and so you do technical writing for them? Yeah, there's a small team of technical writers at uh, Canonical, um, and we do what we can to improve the documentation, usually of well, mostly um, the cloud products at the moment. So stuff like Juju and Maz and Conjure Up, lots of places where Ubuntu is being used in the cloud. I say it sounds fascinating. It is actually. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, you know, it's like. Well, as a kid, I, I, okay, there's a bit of a story, but I, when I was interested in computers as a teenager, I was taken to like this big IBM um, installation where they had robots shuffling tapes and big machines and servers and all that kind of stuff. And really, I know the cloud sounds a bit prosaic, but it is actually, it's the equivalent of that in the modern era. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that we're doing. Um, that's the kind of orchestration and the technical backbone stuff that makes it work, which is interesting. It's interesting to me anyway. No, I was joking, really. It is interesting. <laughs> and it's kind of, um, what, from what I hear, the profitable side of Canonical and it's something that has always made a profit for them. Um, so it's also good to have someone who's got more experience with that kind of stuff as well. I mean, Phelan, you obviously have experience as an admin and stuff, but not necessarily with this side of things, do you? That's good. I like the way you've already pitted two sides of the podcast against each other already. You've got, um, you know, desktop versus server, and you've already got Graham kicking Will there. Good, good. Oh, no, like no, no, not at all. I'm, you know, I'm proud of what we do. Um, and it's interesting for me coming from my, you know, the background of working on magazines for so long. So, And you run Arch then with uh, Plasma. So, well, he didn't say he ran Arch yet, so he clearly doesn't. Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I'm um, so on my on my laptop. I still run loads of distributions. I've I've not been able to shake that habit. Um, my desktop machine, which is what I sit at mostly, um, I'm actually running because I'm a KDE user, um, and I've been a KDE user, you know, since like 1998 when I wrote a KDE application called K Album. Um, so I use Neon as my main machine, but I spend a lot of time in VMs a lot of time running the latest Ubuntu builds in VMs, and that includes the desktop too, the, the normal, well, GNOME now, but um, the standard desktop. Um, but yes, on on my laptop that I take with me, I've got um, standard Ubuntu and Arch alongside macOS, which I never boot into anymore. Um, 
but yeah, outside of work, I am still I still love messing around with Arch because uh, it's main, it's mainly the AUR. It just makes stuff so easy to grab from Git and build with a single command. Uh, who needs to build things when you've got snaps? Say, eh? well, <laughs> too right. <laughs> Bloody nerds. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, let's get into some news then, and something that is clearly being put in by you, Phelim. Um, uh, Elisa, Elisa, which is uh, a music player, which is going to replace Amarok. I didn't realize there was any problem with Amarok. There's not as much a problem with Amarok, but in the fact that it seems to have slowly sort of faded away to the background. There hasn't been an awful lot of work being done on it. Um, there did seem to be more pickup on work in the last few months, um, but it's still stuck back in QT4. There did seem to be some work as it was progressing towards QT5, but I don't know where that's gone, and I haven't heard much in the past few months. So there had been work done for um, a couple of different music players coming up. Um, Eliza was one that had sort of, I don't know, I'd, I'd seen it to be slightly more popular of the two. Um, Babe was the other one that was coming up as well. And this one is the first that was packaged. And uh, yeah, it was released last week. And uh, I have installed it and tried it. And it's quite pretty. 0.1, so it can't be very mature at this point. Well, I think that's where they've gone. So they've they've aimed to be stable with a low number of features, but to be usable. And it is a music player. It plays music, and it's quite pretty. Do you know if it's trying to be Amarok? I mean, I had a real problem with the way the UI became so bloated and so packed full of features I never use on Amarok. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit painful. Like... <laughs> There's nothing worse than having Wikipedia built into your music player because yeah, all that happens there is you start playing music tracks and it pops up band history. And if there's a surefire way to get no work done, <laughs> it's to start getting lost in the rabbit hole of the various changes of band history that took place going through the likes of, uh, you know, Iron Maiden or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't know they had three drummers before the current lineup or whatever. You know, it's... Yeah, you don't really need that just to play some tracks while you're doing some work. So, or the mood, the mood bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it's a nice idea. I mean, it's kind of cool, but no. So, like my Amrock setup, I got rid of the central bar, and I essentially had two. I had my stuff on the left, my library, and then the playlist on the right. And this is kind of what Eliza looks like. It has your left hand side has got all your tracks, your current albums that you browse through. And it integrates with Baloo, the search feature. And yeah, you get a playlist over on the right-hand side and you can shuffle that, repeat it. You can add new tracks to it. You can add new tracks and clear the current playlist. You know, things that you would want to do in a playlist. And yeah, it's really, really nicely done. Um, I haven't managed to get it to import album art yet, but I'm sure that's just me being stupid or maybe something might not be quite right, but they're getting there. What's wrong with VLC for playing music? Oh, stop. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm so old school. I've never got the hang of playlists. I've got my collection of music organised into artists and albums, and I just drop the files into something, and I want them to play in the order that they're named. Yeah, so VLC is perfect for that, isn't <laughs> it? Well, for God's sake. I, I find VLC pretty flaky um, when it comes to music. It's like it, there's the, the transition between tracks isn't always um, the zero latency, and especially um, with... I, try, I use it for playing YouTube videos if I need to, but um, that's about it for VLC and me. 
be honest, Graham, it's because you're listening to that weird electronic stuff where it all merges tracks from one to the other and you need <laughs> no gaps in between them. It's those albums that go on as if they're one giant audio file. Yeah, that is my life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that we're a Linux podcast, uh, but what is it about a, a local music player that you prefer over something like Spotify? I mean... <laughs> Snap install Spotify. To, uh, <laughs> it was going to happen. Look, first article, he's got to bring it up. <laughs> no, snap aside, install the Debbie if you like. The snap's a lot easier, but I personally find, I, I've got, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of gigs of music, and over the course of probably the last mm, 18 months, two years, gradually I've been transitioning away from my local music to Spotify because... I've got the free version as well. It's got everything that I want to listen to and I can take it with me wherever I go. And I just find it uh, quite convenient. So what am I missing in not having a local music player anymore? Not having adverts for a start. Well, I, I don't seem to have any adverts on Spotify free. So maybe that's got something to do with Pi Hole. Ah, interesting. Yeah. We probably shouldn't talk about that, but let's <laughs> let's assume that I did have some adverts. Um, yeah. they, they're not that invasive. They're, um, you know, it's, I'm getting it for free and it, it saves me having to back up, uh, and, and categorize all the music that I, that I've bought over the years and rip to CD, uh, rip to MP3s. Uh, and it just seems to be easier. So I, I don't know, why should I, why should I reconsider my point? No, I agree. I mean, I agree with you, Will, and I've used Spotify for years as well. And, and really, it's the music that I can't get on Spotify or if I have to listen to something on Flack. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly use Spotify as well these days. Okay, let's move on and talk about System76. They have joined the GNOME Advisory Board. Now, <laughs> I'm expecting you to be a bit quiet on this one, Will, because System76 with their Pop! OS, it's just fucking Ubuntu with a theme, isn't it? Well, more or less, but yeah, they they're in the uh, quite enviable position that they they more or less know exactly what hardware it is that they're going to be running on. Now they have made it quite clear that um, that it's for everybody to download and use, and it's not just for their own machines. But by running on their own machines, they are able to QA their own OS to a level which we just simply cannot achieve with Ubuntu because you know we need to support every possible piece of hardware that's out there or, or ever has been out there. Um, and they can perhaps narrow their, their focus a little bit. So I can see the, the appeal of wanting to do that themselves and the, the improved QA that it, it gives them having that sort of known hardware base. So yeah, I, I can understand why they've gone down this route. And what does actually joining the GNOME Foundation Advisory Board actually mean? Well, there's there's a few different sides of it. Um, the main one is that you get to go along and and hear about all of the various um, partners that are using GNOME and what they're doing with it and where they want it to go. Um, so, for example, Endless could be there, Canonical could be there, System76 could be there. Um, and they'll all say, well, we're going this direction, we're going that direction. And they'll find these areas of similarity and try and converge on a single endpoint so that everybody's pulling in the same direction rather than all going off in, in different directions. And that's got to be good for the project as a whole. If everybody can agree to some degree about what it is that they want to achieve and then everybody work on the same goals, that's got to be good for, for GNOME. Uh, and that's what the sort of discussions that happen at the uh, advisory board meetings. Presumably there's a financial commitment involved as well then. There is. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head how much it is, but we, we, it's thousands of dollars a year, something like that. 
So it's not masses then. There's not tiers like there is with the Free Software Foundation. I don't believe so. Um, I think that I think it's just one flat fee, and then you you join the board. Well, fair play to them. They are obviously investing in this whole GNOME thing, and I do take your point about them uh, being able to have much better QA than almost anyone else on at least with their hardware. So it kind of makes sense for them to have their own distro. That's the best argument I've heard so far, but. It still feels like uh, a theme on Ubuntu for now, but it's early days. Um, all right, so what's all this about replacing passwords? Well, so uh, some people from Google and PayPal and Mozilla and Microsoft and Yubico, who make the, the YubiKeys, um, have got together to work on a web standard for interfacing, the, I think their primary use case is interfacing between the, the fingerprint reader, for example, on your phone and some kind of standard password management system on your device. Uh, or even in the cloud, it seems, um, which means that uh, there will be a nice, well-defined web standard to authenticate you against uh, websites. Um, it looks like the, the the idea is that the, the password database will be on your local machine or, or on the cloud, but I think primarily on the local machine. Um, and then you'll unlock that with some kind of um, two-factor authentication, like something you have, like your fingerprint, uh, or in the case of... Um, face recognition perhaps you just look at the screen um, and that will keep all of your passwords nice and secure i would rather hope that it would allow you to um, use automatic passwords as well so you don't have to remember very long complex passwords it will do all that for you um, and then it will just type them into the website for you so a nice well-defined standard way of doing exactly what apple and android have been doing for for years but isn't the whole point to be a combination of something you have and something you know and this takes away the something you know aspect of it, doesn't it? I, it's interesting. I mean, there's something that you have could well be the device on which the passwords are stored. Uh, and there's something you know, I don't know. Could you could you say that the fingerprint is something you know? It, it's the equivalent of a password, a, a sort of single password. So No, definitely not. <laughs> it's something you have attached to your fingers that someone can copy quite easily you leave your fingerprints everywhere every time you touch a door handle every time you touch the screen on your phone but it's got to be better than everybody using the same password for every website and anything that makes that easier to do has got to be a good thing it's kind of why i've never got a YubiKey because i don't really want to trust a third-party hardware manufacturer for one of these devices either so yeah i i don't i really don't know how to trust one of these things because I don't want to trust a third-party company for a device that turns out to be broken. I don't want to use my fingerprint for this because a fingerprint is only ever a username. I wish I could use that on my phone. I'd love to use my fingerprint on my fingerprint scanner to go, oh, it's you, and then ask me my password, which I can't do. I can only ever unlock my phone with my fingerprint. And I don't want to do that because that's stupid. I mean, I do because I'm lazy. But, you know, you want to be able to get a, you know a good solution to these things but you know also have one that you're not going to get locked out of your own computer because the last thing you want is a two-factor authentication system that is hocus and broken i mean but i like the i like the fact that this system is going to be integrated properly it's going to be a standard and supported by multiple companies i mean at least they're going the right way with from that side of things i just don't know whether they're going to actually have proper gear that we could trust from that's the other thing. I've not I've not looked too deeply into it, but if it's just the API, um, how the public key credentials are delivered is, is going to be up to the user. So, 
if people want to have some kind of simple fingerprint reader um, and that and they're happy with that then let them be but maybe those of us who would like our own setup will be allowed to do so you know by writing our own solutions it's the api that's important and it's still pretty early days for this isn't it it's only a recommendation yeah i think this was um well the publishing date on it is uh, the 20th of march so yeah it's uh, it's still very early days for it um, and the the use case that they've got for a laptop in uh, in this this document this w3 document we're looking at um says uh, that on their on their laptop they'll go to a web page that asks them to sign in they'll select sign in with your phone and then your phone will prompt you to put in your your second factor and then it will then feed that back to the website and and log you in so that's a little bit more two factory in that you have to have your phone and you have to have your fingerprint um, so perhaps that's a, a makes you feel a bit more comfortable with it. It'll certainly make it easier for the FBI guy to unlock your phone when you're lying unconscious <laughs> beside it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be a long time before using this to SSH into servers somehow. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you might be against that. Um, all right. Uh, so let's talk about Valve and Steam Machines. So they kind of disappeared, these Steam Machines, from Valve's site, but then... Valve put up a, a post on their forums saying that, no, it's fine. We haven't sold many of them and we're kind of demoting them a little bit, but they're definitely not dead. They're not going away. We're, we're keeping this hedge going. And I just wondered, um, do any of you two new guys play games at all? Because I just don't. I know, Phelan, you only play that one uh, flight gear thing. But uh, yeah, um, Will and Graham, do you play games at all? Does this bother you? Um, well, I used to play a lot of games, I suppose, when I was younger, um, and I don't get that much chance to. But however, I I still have uh, Steam installed. Um, it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't um, it doesn't surprise me. I can't remember whatever the stats were on the the last Steam hardware survey, but Linux is I don't know a half a percent or a third of a percent. Um, and so, from a business sense, from Valve um, Valve's perspective, it doesn't surprise me um and anyway i think they they're keeping their commitment to linux and open source and yeah and as you say hedging hedging their chances of microsoft closing up the the shop on their their platform you said that you used to play games quite a lot i don't think manic miner and jet set willie can <laughs> that's the the problem i've got is just it's just time now like I, I cracked open gta 5 on the ps3 for the first time in i don't know a year or so uh, a couple of weeks back and it, it spent 45 minutes updating itself because there were so many updates for it yeah. it was good fun and i still in, i enjoyed playing it uh, and actually i'm thinking about building a steam machine in in the coming months so um i specked out the prices and, and looked at, at what it is and I, I think that perhaps this is part of the problem that valve have got here is that the sorts of people who are building or want to own a linux-based gaming rig uh would rather build it themselves than buy it off the off the shelf you know the that sort of demographic are people who would like to get down and dirty with the nuts and bolts of building a PC uh, yeah. rather than just buying it off the shelf. And I think there's a, an aspect of that in in the sales that they've seen not being yeah. quite as good as they hoped. And you're right. And, and Steam as a platform is very much um, opposed, I mean, in terms of the user base to the consoles. Um, and so Steam OS and Steam Machines had a difficult job in bridging what you know the the customization scene everybody loves mods for example um 
and and the world of consoles and that maybe is reflected in this as well i think that that people are getting wise to the fact that a console is has a finite life um you know we're hearing talk of the ps5 already um rumors about the the hardware spec and they've only just come out with the ps4 plus so yeah. if if i was going to invest um four or five hundred pounds into a gaming solution yeah. then uh a home-built PC is probably where it's at. Uh, and if I can save £100 on a Windows tax then and still get the, the AAA-rated games, then that's where I'm going to go. Um, and, you know, Steam has got uh, and, and have done good work in getting a lot of those headliner games onto the, the Linux platform, but they're not all of them. Um, and that's that's perhaps what's part of the problem. You're not going to get much machine for four or five hundred quid, though, are you? I mean, you're not even going to get a, a decent graphics card for that. Oh, you totally are. You're going to get um, the the one of the latest GT. What is it? GT one thousand. Oh, I have to look. let me look up the the Nvidia ten eighty. I think because of Bitcoin mining, is still like over five hundred quid or four fifty five. Yeah, exactly. Will realizes his dream machine is six months out of date and no longer viable. <laughs> no, no, four hundred and thirty one pounds gets you an Intel Pentium G forty five sixty, which is only dual core, but it's got hyper threading. Pentium, uh, uh, yeah, good, <laughs> good luck gaming with that. Look at the stats; they're fine. They're absolutely fine. And uh, you get a GTX ten fifty with four gig of RAM. And that is an expensive part, 150 quid. But the whole lot comes in, including RAM and disk and power supply and case, comes in at 431 pounds and 34 pence. So comparable to a PS4 Pro, um, but significant longevity. I like the way that with Steam, your library of games is your library of games. You know, whatever the platform. Yeah. So you said you're going to make a Steam box here. Does that mean that you're going to install Steam OS? Or are you just going to install something like Ubuntu or, dare I say it, Solus and install Steam on top of that? I'll probably go Ubuntu, but it depends on the availability of the games and what it is that my kids want to be playing. Uh, if I have to dual boot it, then, yeah, pragmatically, then I will do that. But really, I'd like to save myself £100 and buy, you know, a, a better CPU with four cores, for example. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you'll have to keep us up to date on that then. On to a bit of admin then, and first of all, thank you to everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It is very much appreciated, and if you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support, and there's other ways as well there, even Bitcoin, which I still haven't checked since last time. I probably ought to, especially as it's gone up in value a bit lately. Um, if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact for the email address and the Telegram group and stuff like that. Uh, Fostalk Live. That has now sold out. And by sold out, I mean all the free tickets have gone. That doesn't mean that you can't still come because one person got four tickets. <laughs> I messaged them on Twitter and said, um, yeah, I don't believe you've got three friends. And he said, yeah, you're right. They probably won't come. So uh, there will probably be some tickets left over sort of returned. And even if you haven't got a ticket, you can probably get in for some of the shows. So that's on the 9th of June anyway. It's, uh, it's coming up pretty shortly. Uh, Phelan, uh, did you actually book your ticket and stuff? Are you actually coming to this? Book my ticket for what exactly? Do I have to <laughs> bo- get a ticket from the website? No, I mean, like, you know, a plane ticket and hotel and stuff. Yes. <laughs> Is that yes and no? <laughs> yes. I'll go do that now. Whoops. Maybe. I'll check that. Maybe you can stay on Jesse's floor again. Uh, more on that in a second. I'm pretty sure I can't. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll spoiler that then. Yes, so Jesse is now officially a dad. 
So, uh, yes, we should all say congratulations, Jesse. Uh, We would do a round of applause. Now, in fact, let's do a round of applause. Well done, Jesse. Yay! So, yeah, that's in London anyway, Fostalk Live. Uh, And Graham, you are definitely coming because you promised. Yeah, I've promised. (laughs) Yeah. And so we we get a Lennox Voice reunion show at that, all being well. And uh, Will, you're not too far from London, so are you coming? I'm certainly planning to. I've cleared it with the boss, so yeah, I shall be there. Oh, excellent. Right then, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com, and they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK, and they sell machines with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1704 and 1710 pre-installed, not long before 1804, of course. And they are a company who really cares about Linux. That's all they do. They don't do this as some sort of side project. They just sell Linux machines. And they've got a whole range of laptops from fairly affordable stuff that's, you know, a bit of light browsing, email, that sort of thing, all the way up to real powerhouses that can do graphic design and 3D art and video editing and machine learning, that sort of thing. And they also sell desktops and even a server or two. And almost everything can be configured in terms of what CPU they have and uh, amount of RAM and storage. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then do mention us at checkout, mention Late Night Linux, and they'll know that we sent you there. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Okay, so not strictly Linux, but this is more about the, the free and open web. And that is AMP, Accelerated Mobile Pages. This is a project by Google to speed up the web on mobile devices. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is it's Google looking to assert even more control than they already had over the mobile web and force people to put their content on Google servers and remain completely in control of absolutely everything. So, Phelim, I know that you don't use Google at all. You use uh, StartPage. I do. Don't have any Google apps or anything like that. Correct. So had you even heard of this? Well, I'd heard you whittle on about AMP all the time, but I've never seen an AMP page, so... Is that still the case, even though I said that we'd be talking about this? Yeah, well, I still haven't seen an AMP page. I don't even know how I'm supposed to see an AMP page, because I have no idea how I would reach one. Well, go to Google, search for something, and uh, especially news sites and everything, and you'll get an AMP page. Go to Google on my phone? Yeah. Are you mad? <laughs> okay, I will do it right now as we're talking, but I I actually haven't encountered any of these at all. Yeah. All right. Well, so, Graham, have you encountered this? Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, it is, it, it is an important thing to bring up and discuss. Um, I don't think there's going to be any surprise in what my stance will be, and I've certainly heard about it being referred to as an obfuscation of uh, of web technology maybe in the in the favor of the big the big content providers or the and you know I'm very much on the side of making the web accessible um, to as many people as possible on the side of you know Tim Berners-Lee I think um, wrote in the Guardian just in the last couple of weeks here in the UK about um, the web being weaponized um, and while I I think it's a great idea in terms of making content faster and delivering it faster for web devices. I'm not sure whether this is the best or most open solution. Um, as I understand it, it's basically a load of extensions bolted into standard web technologies. Um, and I still like the way that you can 
click on view source and even though that doesn't really work that often these days um i feel like this is probably going in the wrong direction maybe i'm naive actually in that thought i don't know it looks awful <laughs> i just went to ars technica okay because the only thing i could think of to search in google first of all you made me go to google.com which you're a monster for making me do that and then it it looks like an ad <laughs> what do you mean it looks like an ad it looks like an ad because it no longer looks like the website because everybody knows ars technica is black and now it's white and i'm having to scroll through it it looks like you know like a pdf viewer of a of the page yeah and it's got those little dot view tabs of the page. This is atrocious. Philip's hot take. So, Will, what's your take on the whole app thing? Well, I've got a few problems with it. Um, as uh, as Graham already said, it, it it feels like it's trying to lock you into to Google's um, Google's domain there. But the other thing that I don't really see the need in is is for accelerated mobile pages. Um, I appreciate that there are phones out there with with less horsepower, but browsing a news site has never been something that I thought. Oh, if only this was ten percent faster, then suddenly my news would be sixteen percent better. It just it it doesn't seem to serve a massive purpose. There seem to be um, the web seems to be perfectly good at providing this feature already. Drop JavaScript from your page. Drop a few images from your page. You know, it's it's easy to to optimize this already. Um, and the fact that Google will be promoting pages which have this uh, extension on them, I have a, a significant problem with. Um, I appreciate when the, they enforced, or, or rather they rank pages with SSL enabled higher than those without. Okay, I get that. But ranking pages where AMP is enabled higher than other ones just seems to be pushing the big names who can afford to spend time and energy implementing this will have their results at the top. And it's not always the big news sources that do this. It's also uh, a lot of the less reputable places that will deliberately invest time making their pages AMP enabled in order to appear at the top of the search results, skewing the, the actual sort of real journalism that's going on um, further down the search results. So, I, yeah, I, I don't see the need for it. And it, it worries me that Google will be promoting things that use their homegrown technology above existing solutions that are perhaps better. Well, or even new solutions that, that don't exist yet. That's my main problem with it. I don't have a problem with the implementation of it. I disagree with you, Phelan, that uh, it isn't horrible. Generally speaking, it is lightning fast, and uh, it is generally a stripped down version of it with just the content. And when you're reading news, that's what you want. You don't want loads of bullshit um, JavaScript and all that. All you do is just don't put it in, though. It's text. Well, exactly. Google Reader. A really simple version of of this is um, my wife was off to France and wanted to look at some international news while she was there and said, can you find me some international news feed? Because it was uh, two, three years ago and it was getting stung really bad for um, data tariffs because it was before they brought in the really good data tariffs for EU citizens that we get really good now that you guys won't. Don't make us cry. <laughs> Come on. And okay. um, so I said, well, Reddit's got a new feed now for international news, which is was in beta at the time. And I said, it, it looks like it's kind of okay. And it, that's just a text page. Sure, surely there's nothing on that. And there's a mobile version of that page as well. And then she hit it and said, yeah, you realize that's got like a massive size to it. And I was like, it couldn't do. It's just text. 
but there was a whopping great four megabyte JavaScript file that you had to download on the thing. I mean, what it was doing, God knows, because it was all minified anyway. But like, you know, look at a, a Reddit page for for news. Like there there is literally blocks of text there, but yet this thing had this horrific file that you had to download each time. Just cut all that crap out. It's text. Well, that's the thing that since AMP has been around for the last couple of years, I think that other websites have realized that they shouldn't have all that bollocks. And the point that you made there, Will, about it not being necessary, uh, well, that's because it exists that it's not necessary, I think. I think it has driven other web developers to realize, and it was a big wake-up call for them, hang on, we can't just keep bloating out all these pages. So in that sense, it's kind of driven the web in a good direction. But the fact that they will promote their own technology over other people, that, that's the biggest problem I have with it. If there was some objective way to see how fast pages load or whatever, which is quite a straightforward thing to do, then surely that is what should be prioritized, whether it is AMP or whether it is a completely open alternative. RSS. <laughs> well, yeah, like RSS. <laughs> yeah, RSS feeds could be promoted, but most people want something a bit richer than that. And, and that's why Google's developing all these kind of uh, videos and they're just taking it way too far. It started out as let's strip out all the bloat and have something that's super fast. And now they're trying to bring in all those other features to the point where it's going to be no faster than it was in the first place, but they're going to control it all. Because something to bear in mind is that, okay, you can host your own AMP site yourself, but you're encouraged to host it on Google servers. So someone could be looking at your website, but it will be actually hosted on Google servers. And, and that's another major problem I have with it, that if you look at the URL, it's it's actually google.com, blah, 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 slash Ars Technica or whatever. And that is surely bad for the web. That is just centralization that we do not need. Where's your email, Joe? <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, uh, you get 15 gigabytes of space, man. Well, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not like you can really throw rocks from inside your, your glass house that you've got there too much, though. So that's the problem, though. They get people in on that exact sort of way. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to kick them completely, though. Uh, in a shocking turn of events, I might actually stand up for them in a certain amount of the fact that they are technically open with this and they are trying to push these up the chain so to speak um they are trying to make them standards now whether any of those standards actually take hold is another thing because in a lot of respects any of these companies have a tendency to see a standard if they haven't invented it then not play ball because they didn't invent it you know we always get those sort of things where it, you know they won't touch you know, the likes of apple won't touch the ones that ones that the other guys made or whatever so i don't know whether they'll get much play with this but they have put a lot of them up and they are trying to like get everybody up to the same level of speed so that if people write to these standards that everybody benefits from them so i don't know whether that's just them trying to smooth over the fact that they know they've got a horrible pr job with this i don't know has anybody tried to enable AMP on their own website? I, I looked at it briefly uh, maybe a year ago, and it looked complex and too hard for me, so I sort of gave up. God, no, not a chance. Yeah, I don't really have any interest in doing it. I think that um, the site that we've got for Late Night Linux is lean enough, isn't it? I don't know. Write to us and tell us if, if I'm wrong about that, if you think we need it. But I just... 
I think that and unless your site was just horribly bloated in the first place, then it's just totally unnecessary to have AMP. But Graham, you mentioned RSS there. Do you really, I mean, you can't be serious to think that people will actually consume content just with RSS because you need to pass the RSS. You need a reader that will uh, make something that's not horrendously ugly out of it. Yeah, you're right. And and part of what I was semi-joking about was the lamented loss of Google Reader. I mean, if Google actually really did care about aggregating news content and giving people control and having something loading quickly where you could access it from anywhere, you know, that was a great example of something that could do that. Um, I, I mean, I'm still one of those rare breed of, I rely on RSS feeds for updates to sites. And yes, while it's just the skeleton of an article, that's that's because it's not making any assumptions on how you want to use it. Um, and I, I, I think it's still the answer to a great many of kind of pushing problems that we have on the web. Not least because it's easy to understand, you know. I, yeah, I, I, I like it being easy. I like IRC being easy, you know, ASCII text pushed into some kind of port. It's, it's, it's easy to deconstruct. Yeah, I agree. Well, I use RSS every single day. That's how I follow the news. I have dozens of RSS feeds that I'm subscribed to and uh, usually read, I don't know, 300 headlines a day. And there's no way I could do that at individual sites. And having it all just funneled down through various RSS feeds is is absolutely invaluable to me. But I don't think that I'm particularly normal. I don't think you or I are, Graham. I mean, I suppose, um, failing my will, you probably uh, subscribe to a number of RSS feeds for work-wise, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but again, I, the primary mechanism I use for for reading the news is RSS. Um, like you say, it's, it, there's so many sites for various niche interests that there's no way I would have time to navigate each of those websites. Um, even you know, if I had them bookmark in uh, in Chrome, that I could even find most of them. Uh, RSS is essential. It's the it's the easiest way for me to bring all of the stuff that I care about into a, into a single browser tab uh, and read it from there. And that's what I do every day. But the thing is that. We are not normal on the show, and if you are listening to this, you are not normal. I'm sorry to say, most people... Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, most normal people with their Samsung phone or iPhone or whatever, they are using AMP on a daily basis without even realizing it. And even if you explained it to them, they wouldn't give a flying fuck. And that's the, the point here, is that we are in this position of knowing a little bit about how this all works and, and being able to form opinions about it and make choices based on those opinions. But most people just use Google, just use defaults. And and so they are using this stuff all the time. And, and this is going to almost be uh, the, the next Facebook, isn't it? Because there was a time when Facebook was all people saw of the web. Now people seem to be realizing that that's not a great idea, especially with all this Cambridge Analytica stuff. But now if they're starting from Google, which let's face it, almost everyone is whenever you're searching for anything, unless you're some sort of weirdo like you, Phelim, then you're going to be trapped in this AMP world and potentially never leaving Google servers and everything you look at being monitored by them and okay, right now, all they're interested in is selling you adverts or whatever, which that that's what it's all about for Google at the moment. But it, it does make me worry. And if I get my tinfoil hat out for a second, it makes me worry long term. The more Google learns about you, 
then who knows what's going to happen. And if all of your web traffic is going through their servers and they're in complete control of it all, right now they're not that evil. Some people would disagree, failing, I know. But um, who knows what could happen in the future. They could get taken over by, you know, a new CEO could come along or whatever, and they could be this totally evil company using all your searches and all the sites that you've used with AI and know... Well, they probably already know more about you than than you know about yourself in terms of like you know medical problems and God knows what. But it's it's only a concern that Google will gather all of this information if people are using Google to search the web. So I think that um, AMP being an open standard, as far as as far as I can tell, it's an open standard. It's all it all seems to be very open source. Any other search engine could come along and implement this in the same way. So is Google going to just suddenly fall out of favor? Well, actually, I think maybe it will do in the future. Um, The more that I search for things on Google, the more tired I become from finding adverts and and not even direct adverts on, uh, on Google itself, but sites that are selling things about the topic that I'm Googling. So for me, searching for technical matters and technical uh, questions, finding uh, the, the answer to those technical questions in recent years has become harder and harder. And so something like DuckDuckGo will gradually increase in popularity with the, the techie people, and then they'll tell their friends and they'll tell their friends. So I can see a point at which Google stops being the dominant player, at which point, fine. Um, but what we're really talking about is is AMP. And so is AMP going to protect Google's position in, in the web? I don't think so. Um, anybody else could, could implement it. So I don't know. I, I don't think um, we should be afraid of Google for building AMP in the first place. Um, whether or not it's useful is debatable. It was a great music player, AMP. <laughs> Who? Amp. It really whipped the llama's ass. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. On that note, we better get out of here. So, um, yes, thank you, Will and Graham, for your first proper episodes. I suppose, Graham, you had one last time, but that doesn't count. So, uh, we will be back in two weeks then. Uh, and in the meantime, I have been Joe. I have been Graham. I don't know which order to do this in. I have been Phelan. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>